This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Natalie Rosenblatt, Senior Performance Marketing Consultant, and Isabella Zuli, Senior Graphic Designer at Teacher. Natalie, Isabella, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Hey, yes, thanks for having us. Uh, super excited to, to be here speaking with you today. Thanks so much for having us today. I'm super excited to be here. I've been listening to Business of Apps for a while, so this is really cool to be on this podcast. All right. So, um, welcome to 2022. Happy New Year, everybody. We are starting uh, this, uh, I, I want to say season, but this is not a TV show. But anyway, we're starting 2022 with an episode where we have not one, but two guests. And um, the topic on the table is the impact of creativity on paid social but let me set the stage first all right um every once in a while i like to begin an episode with a question to the audience i know you cannot answer me right away this is just hypothetical so what do you do every morning you brush your teeth at least i hope so have your breakfast take a shower am i missing something yes you check your Instagram and TikTok feed. Why do you do it? This is not the question for this time or this episode. Right now, my point is that sometimes in those feeds, one of the ads grabs your attention. Why? To answer this question, I've invited Natalie and Isabella. But before we will be diving into the world of ad creatives and what they or night difference they can make for paid social ads. Let's talk about you both. Please tell us about tell us about yourself and what brought you to the app marketing field. So in my senior year of uh, university, uh, Gabe Kwachi had reached out to me, who was the founder of Incipia, a mobile uh, growth consultancy, and uh, they were looking for yeah, it's just somebody to help them uh, with some client work, started working with them and just right away really fell into the rhythm of the fast paced environment that you have at an agency working with many different app uh, verticals. And then before I knew it, it was pretty much three years that I was there and uh, really liked the work. Like I said, it was really fun and learned, was learning a lot, working with really smart people who were super passionate about the app space. And then um, made my way over to Feature over in Berlin and have been getting that same sense of uh, like passion and drive from all of the, the Feature team and working with more clients across Europe and getting more diversity there. So that's kind of how I got into it and why I'm staying in it. Great. I used to be part of a marketing agency, and I think I still remember this period of the teamwork. What about you, Isabella? Yeah, so um, I'm Bella, and um, as mentioned, I'm a senior graphic designer at Fitcher. 
Um, I've been in the the app marketing world for about three years now. Um, I kind of just fell into it, actually. I uh, I was trained in uh, at university. I studied interior architecture, um, and I was working in Sydney after university. Um, I had this dream of moving to Berlin um, and working in design here. Um, so I'd just been kind of searching for design roles, and uh, this job came up at an app marketing agency, not Fitcher, but another one here in Berlin. Uh, called Customlytics. And yeah, so I just decided to kind of uh, switch fields a little bit and start working in uh, graphic design full-time. Um, and then, yeah, I uh, started working for Fitcher uh, a bit over a year ago now. Wow, Sydney, the city of the world-famous opera theatre. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's the first uh, thing that comes to my mind when I think about Sydney. Um, okay, now... Let's get to the topic on the table. So let's face it, in our daily lives, we see a bunch of ads. We've just stopped noticing that those images are actually advertising for somebody. Um, and they're just kind of blended in one stream. We're trying to pass that stream out of our conscious. But every once in a while, like I said at the beginning, some of those ads just pop up and grab our attention. Ad can be a piece of user-generated content or an ad, actual ad. So um, why some of those images capture attention based on your experience? So why it happens? Yeah, typically ads that usually stop, like me personally from scrolling, it's hitting me with some sense of humor or it's, it's getting me on some type of emotional level. And at Feature, we evaluate ads based on what we call the PET model, which is a conversion model based on different persuasion, emotional, or trust tactics. Mm-hmm. And besides that, I mean, usually it's ads that are just really super creative and out of the box, something that you really haven't seen before and they're eye-catching. And nowadays it's really about like grabbing attention within those first few seconds. I think like apps like TikTok and Instagram Reels, uh, those like fast-paced videos that you can just scroll through have really diminished our like attention span. And so you're kind of accustomed to just moving quick, even on your Facebook newsfeed. And you can scroll through right thing, things that you don't really want to, you know, look at or watch for more than a few seconds. True. Um, so it has to really, yeah, be eye-catching. And other than that, I think it's more of a right timing um, thing. Like if you're been thinking about this product or the service recently, um, or it's something that you you need that you don't have yet, or maybe it's better than a competitor. That that's also how you know it grabs your attention and how you get those your users to convert. So the closest it, it, the system to be able to read your mind, the better it, be, it is actually capable to deliver some ad that is relevant. Yeah, uh, trying. I'm trying not to sound too spooky. And um, I like your attitude towards, um, like, you know, there's always, uh, unfortunately, there are two ways how you can grab attention. It can be something that makes you laugh, laugh, or it may be something that, that en- enrages you. I really just hate the last option. And sometimes advertising can go this path when it um, doesn't matter, like, uh, if it's just... Uh, if it's something that's not positive, it's not funny, it's just, um, you know, 
uh, scares you, but still grabs your attention and it delivers the click that advertising is for. Um, that's not the way to go. Use your sense of humor, be creative, uh, play the, the like uh, on the positive side. That's my motto. Um, so um, now, like the next log logical question for me would be, what would you uh, suggest to uh, marketers? What steps should they take to get one of those ads that will allow them to generate uh, a lot of engagement and uh, actually grab people's attention and um, introduce their app? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a process uh, that we've really worked on developing at Feature and we refine it constantly, but we follow a set of uh, around six steps to build kick-ass creatives. And we follow the first step as just really understanding who the audience is, what are the business needs. Um, yeah, making sure we understand who the app users are. Then we look at historical creative performance. If we can already learn from what has been tested, what has worked, what hasn't worked. And we try to focus more on things that have worked then that can give us a leg up to uh, you know, coming up with this next batch of creative ideas. And then we pair that with uh, competitor research. So mm -hmm. we try to find a lot of inspiration into um, things that, you know, advertisers are doing that already is working. I think everybody pretty much takes this approach. Um, right. Or we find things that we actually haven't tried yet. Uh, and then we still from time to time just try to find some like wild card or concept that hasn't been done or tested before, but those are a bit more difficult to come up with. Um, and then on the uh, conversion tactic model, we incorporate the persuasion, emotion, and trust. Like which one are we trying to convey in the idea? Uh, mm -hmm. We try to incorporate as much user-generated content or influencer content as we can. We've definitely seen that this works really, really well. And, you know, everybody's talking about this now, like making the ads look native, especially on TikTok and Snap and even on Facebook now, YouTube, it's just somebody talking to the camera or like a real person, not the stock. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's also a really important component. And then finally, we compile everything into a test tracker so that we can manage through all of their ideas and organize through when are we gonna be testing, what are the results of the tests, and having kind of like a one-stop shop to track all the creative ideas. Um, Isabella, as a professional designer, can you add something, you know, from a perspective of somebody who's actually putting together those models of uh, graphics for ads? Um, do you have any, um, like, your observations uh, for what makes the ad you know, kind of a popping out from the um, blending uh, stream of advertising. Um, yeah, I mean, as Natalie already mentioned, it's really about like standing out from the rest, um, which is why like that step three Natalie mentioned where we're conducting competitor research and we're gathering inspiration. It's a really important stage for, for the design team uh, to really mm -hmm. spend a lot of time assessing what's already out there. Like what are the, your competitors doing? What are your non-competitors doing? 
what ads are performing well that you've seen recently and kind of looking at, you know, everything that's happening in, in front of you and assessing what can we do better, what can we do next and what can we do to kind of really push those boundaries. Um, you know, the best way to do this is generally like we find well-performing assets using influencers or user-generated content. It doesn't even have to be uh, paying some really expensive celebrity. It can really just be, you know, your team filming themselves using the app if it's, you know, if the app has a product where you can actually interact with it out in the real world, like, you know, a, a car app, let's say, where you're, you know, using an app to to book a car, like mm -hmm. a, a quick rent car, you right. know, your, your team could also just go out and, you know, film themselves interacting with the product. So it's like really like people want to see like how these apps are used in their real life. And I think this is the most engaging content because the other thing is, it also will start to blend with like these users' feeds, right? It'll start to more look like natural content that they would see in their feed from their friends. So, you know, you're more likely to get those users to stop and actually watch uh, your content if it's a bit more realistic. So you're saying, so basically we're all fed up watching James Bond characters portraying on mega watches. We want real people to do the same thing. Like the guy or girl you can see the next door and this is how we can actually relate better that this is about you, not this huge gap between you and that guy on the screen, which um, just the celebrity um, who's been paid to advertise that product, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, depending on your audience, of course, you know, celebrity influencers could be, uh, you know, can really generate, you know, positive performance. Right. Um, sure. you know, depending on the experience, depending on the app. Um, you know, just getting your real users even to create content for you. You know, like I would, uh, I would recommend to not be afraid to for for apps to reach out to their own user base and you know see if anyone who actually uses the app in their everyday life is interested in creating content and just speaking to the other people that use the app because you know we're all real people at the end of the day and we want to see real people using these apps. That's for sure. Great. So are there any tools that may facilitate the process of generating high impactful ad creatives? Yeah, so we use our research tools such as uh, Sensor Tower, um, which uh, basically it scrapes all the ad networks and aggregates all the data, and then it ranks um, the ads by advertiser. And so we really tend to utilize this during that third step that I mentioned, where we're you know gathering that competitor research, we're gathering the inspiration. Um, and basically we can use that tool to, to see what the competitors are doing. We can see what non-competitors are doing and what's really been working and what we haven't really done, um, what we haven't tried so far. Great. So this is your source of uh, inspiration. If you're really like, sometimes, um, well, it's good. It's great that you can come up with ideas on your own and be creative, but there's always a limit how much uh, creativity can be in your head because you're just one human being. Um, the different ideas are being uh, generated because people have different sets of um, the information that they had, the previous experience, uh, different sense of humor, different taste, and you know, pre preferences to certain colors, shapes, um, or just. Um, just different way of presenting stuff. Um, that's that's why that repository is really great and, and helpful for generating something new based on other people's experience. Exactly. I mean, of course, you know, as designers, you know, we can we can also just, you know, we, we're generating ideas all the time ourselves, but, you know, we also like to be backed by a little bit of data, which is why we use uh, tools such as that. 
Um, but I would also not discount, you know, we also just spend a lot of time, you know, on our phones. I'm constantly uh, looking for ads. I'm almost searching for ads these days on my uh, on my Instagram or Facebook. I'm like going to the very end of the the scrolling option and really forcing those ads to come up because, you know, this is also a good way for us to to see what else is out there. That's right. You're hacking the system to get more ads yeah. from a professional perspective. That's a smart way of doing yeah, I it. Actually, uh, I actually checked Instagram settings last week to see if there was a way to like, if there was an option to like get more ads because, you know, for me, this is really interesting. Um, there wasn't that option, unfortunately, but uh, yeah. Oh, that's great. I think uh, Instagram is happy because they believe you're watching more ads and you're happy because you're getting more and more examples of different ideas. So it's a win-win. Exactly. Okay, so now, now let's dive in a little bit into our psychology. Uh, there's always a particular reason behind our actions. Even when we're completely spontaneous, there's something that drives the spontaneous action. So how does psychology may help us to come up with the net creative that will generate high engagement? Yeah, absolutely. So for performance marketing campaigns, it's uh, it's really important to delve into the mindset of our potential users. Um, so we need to understand how they think, what makes them react, what's making them make these decisions. And so as Natalie mentioned earlier, to help us understand this better, we use a framework called the PET model, which stands for persuasion, emotion, and trust. Um, it's actually a framework which was uh, originally developed by a company called Human Factors International, and it was uh, originally used to guide the development of uh, high-quality user experiences, mostly like web-based experiences. Um, so what we've done is we've kind of adapted that that framework and that model to help uh, our teams here at Fitcher uh, create those psychology-driven hypotheses uh, to produce those more like effective, fun, and engaging ads. Um, so the, the model is basically made up of a bunch of different tactics which fall under those three categories. And, you know, each of those tactics then have their own hypotheses for these different kind of psychology-driven uh, effects. Um, I can give you an example, actually. Um, I think what we see regularly these days in a lot of ads, uh, particularly on Instagram and Facebook, um, is uh, they're usually using a, a tactic called a reward. So this is when users are usually offered an incentive to download the app. So it's usually, you know, free delivery on a, on a food app, a grocery delivery app. Um, it could be like discounted offers or even uh, free trials. And these are the things, you know, instantly someone's like, okay, I'm getting something out of downloading the app. I'm getting to try it for free. I'm getting my first order delivered for free. And this is what, you know, is a psychology tactic driven to trigger that person to make the download. Natalie, can you add something on top of that? Yeah, I mean, we are really trying to like track this at, when we test it with the way that we name our ads. So from the ideation part of like the creative workshop where we're sitting together and we're saying, okay, here's all the like 10 ads we're going to test this or the 10 ideas we're going to test this month in ads. Um, from there, we tried to, we've actually implemented this like whole naming convention on our ads where we have like a Google sheet that the designers are going in and saying this ad is, you know, reward. Um, this ad is uh, building um, persuasion with like knowledge of results. And then what we're working on is like creative level reporting to then 
uh, aggregate all of that data and use it to kind of then understand a bit more what conversion tactics work best for each of the clients that we're working with or for different channels or for different geos. So um, that's all in the works right now, but that's been uh, a really big like endeavor on the, between both teams and coming up with the ideas is I think the initial um, challenging part. And then from there, uh, yeah, just kind of constantly coming up with new ideas because we focus most of our uh, time and effort on net new like graphic design concepts or um, uh, yeah, like, I don't know, concepts within the app or app features that we haven't tested yet. And at some point you kind of do feel like you're running out of things. So it's, it's just right. constantly trying to see, can we target a new yeah, a conversion tactic? Can we try some other design style that we haven't tried yet? And um, yeah. So uh, even though psychology, um, like this, um, the, the reason why a particular ad may uh, engage a person should be pretty, um, pretty much universal uh, across the board, uh, but there's always these cultural differences. Uh, I mean, when you're creating an ad for an application somewhere in Europe, Latin America, Asia, can you think of any uh, example, just to briefly in general, when you had to think harder and you couldn't figure it out like what ad should look like for um, any region, uh, perhaps any problem to come up with something really engaging for Chinese market or any market at all? Yeah, I mean, localization is a huge part of our role. Um, for any of our clients, we're usually operating in, you know, up to 20, 25 markets and we're producing ads for all those markets. Um, so part of our design process is always localization. And it's not just about translating the, the captions that you're using in your creatives. It's really about looking at every little thing. Um, it's, you know, making sure the, the app UI is also localized to that market. If you're I don't know, if you're advertising a travel app, for example, you know, the locations you're showing in the app UI, you might want to change those to be destinations that, you know, the country you're targeting, those people are realistically actually, you know, wanting to travel to those places. And it could be also about, you know, the images or the video footage you're using, making sure that, you know, locations are recognisable to the people in that market. Also, if, there's, uh, if you're showing people in images or video assets, again, making sure that culturally, the people you're showing in, the, in that footage is also uh, appropriate to the market you're advertising in. And, uh, yeah, we, we see good results when we, we do kind of hyper-localise, as we, as we call it, when we're, you know, localising every single element of an ad. Um, and, yeah, less so when we're just producing uh, one ad that we're releasing to all markets. Got it. Uh, now, testing is something that people agree should be part of any app marketing campaign. But it doesn't mean that all up marketers are confident about how to be effective at running tests for ad creatives. Perhaps you can give any suggestions, tips? Yeah, part of what uh, we talked about with like the creative naming convention is super important because then when you actually do test it, you can read the performance a bit better. So like definitely biggest tip would be to apply some sort of standard naming convention and try to avoid numbers like variant one or variant two because in three to six months from now, you're not going to really remember right. what that is. So exactly. Try to be super specific. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different ways to test ad creatives and the preference always differs by marketer. And I guess to preface this, like we don't always follow the channel best practices to a T. So for instance, on Google, you know, you have 20 videos that are recommended, 20 images, one campaign per geo. And on Facebook, if you're on AAA or on um, dynamic creative ad sets, then they recommend to upload like all available slots. But what we actually find is like when we're working with um, smaller budgets, then the ad spend is spread really thin. And what ends up happening is just, okay, let's say like you launch an ad group with five new ads, um, then you are, or, or with 20 ads in this case, with five, whatever the number is, majority of the spend usually only falls to a few, like, I don't know, not even 10% of uh, whatever quantity you're putting into. So um, we try to then get a bit hacky with it. And if we launch, let's say five new assets in an ad group and only two of them are picking up, we'll maybe temporarily pause the two after a week or so to see if the other three will get ad spend. If those don't get ad spend then, or, or, or yeah, maybe they're getting some spend, but just not enough learnings, mm -hmm. then we will push them into a separate ad set. Um, which I maybe a few different like thumbnail text copy iterations and if that still doesn't work, then we just move on to the next test. Um, and I think it's important to call out, like, uh, you can always switch up your way of testing. So from time to time, maybe you're trying a different test method just to see if there's a better, faster way to get learnings. The algorithms are also always changing. So I think it's good to kind of always reevaluate processes that maybe somebody else is doing that you haven't tried yet or that you did before they stopped working, maybe trying it again a few months down the line. Um, that's typically the approach that we take. Got you. Um, right now, um, putting together um, Google Play and uh, Apple Store, doing testing for both, do you find right now when the testing tools are available for iOS as well, are they pretty much on par or there's still a gap in terms of testing? It's still easier and more efficient to work on the Google side. Yeah, definitely still way more efficient and quicker on Google. Um, iOS is a lot slower and I mean, you're getting clicks and, but beyond that, it's, it's really hard to measure and we're finding that yeah, click through high click through rates good, but it doesn't always necessarily correlate with becoming a top spending ad or, your best performing creative. So it's a bit tough to only rely on that. And you just need really large budgets on iOS to really learn anything. And mm -hmm. at the rate of like creative concept testing that you need on paid social, it's it's really difficult. So pushing it to Android is, is the easiest. So um, finally, can you share some of that creatives that impressed you recently, you both? something that made you pause and smile? Yeah, we can share a couple of examples. Um, one is a video ad I saw from uh, Gorillas, which is that, uh, that grocery delivering app. Um, it was uh, an ad that they used for their launch in London. Um, and not only was it really about kind of the aesthetic that captured my attention, it was kind of, you know, using these really, I would say it's kind of, I've seen it a bit of a trend recently in, in the animation style. It's kind of very like, a lot of different content flashing in and out, really cool kind of graphics, really cool treatment of the text. 
Um, but it was also really about the localization of the asset, which caught my attention. Like all the video footage that they used, it was showcasing locations in London, like the, the you know, the popular parks, the, the tube stations and things like that. And on top of that, they used, um, you know, grime music, like UK rap music as well in the mm-hmm. background. Um, so I really felt that they did a really nice job in like targeting that user demographic that they're looking for, which I think their their main target audience would probably be, you know, more of the the younger generation. And I think they are they did a really nice job of doing that. And you know, this is our recommendation on localization. Uh, as I mentioned before, that you know, if you're an app that offers a service in a in a specific location, it's really important that you do localize your ads to those places in order to properly des- you know target your uh, desired users. Um, and another example uh, I can share is um, on the, the UGC and influencer side. So, of course, as we mentioned, it's hugely popular right now and very engaging content. And we, you know, we do tend to see uh, some best performance results when we when we use those types of ads. Um, so there was an ad recently for an app called Acorns, which is a financial app that I think it helps users uh, save and invest their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had an app. They had an ad with uh, Dwayne Johnson, so The Rock, um, talking about the app. And, uh, you know, as we said, you know, it's not always necessary to use such a big name, but I have to say, like, for, for them, I'm sure having such a big name promoting their app, you know, would have been quite a big draw card for, for some of their users. You got to get the app. You don't mess with The Rock. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the app industry is best. To navigate this space, you need a directory to look up suppliers and partners, and you need to know who are the best. Visit our marketplace directory at businessofapps.com slash marketplace slash podcast. And now, back to the show. We've covered the major topic on the table, and I just have a few more questions that I ask every guest on this show, because one of my goals is not only covering um, the specific topic, giving people educational tips and tricks, but uh, letting them know my guests a little bit better. These are just a quick question. So each of those questions to you both, um, in whatever order you prefer. So what smartphone do you have now? Have you been switching between iOS to Android and back and back, or just staying one side consistently? I've been iOS from... Well, I guess besides my first phone, but since for a long time, I, I like Apple. Yeah, what about I also, you? I also have an iPhone 11 right now. And um, yeah, I've been using iOS for years now and I don't think I would really go back to Android. But my very first phones when I was a teenager uh, were all Android phones. And then I think it was maybe the iPhone, I don't know, four or five was my first uh, experience with iOS and haven't gone back. All right. Uh, um, what about the, did you have the smartphone, sorry, no, I, I wouldn't call it a smartphone, um, digital phone, those flip phones before the era of smartphones? Oh, yeah. Anywho? My first phone was uh, a lavender-colored Motorola Razr flip phone. I love that thing so much. And I actually, I'm not kidding you, I flipped it so hard one day that it snapped in half and I was devastated. (laughs) And so I bought another lavender Motorola Razr straight after that. I really love that phone. (laughs) 
Yeah. Speaking okay. of the uh, Motorola Razor, reminds, reminds me of the metrics for the directions I've just watched recently. Uh, what about you, Natalie? Yeah, mine was also the Razor, and uh, it was a it was a navy one though. And I remember I got it. Um, my parents gave it to me. I was like really sick, and they surprised me with it. And then um, I had texting for like six months to a year, and none of us knew. And then when we found out, I was like, wow, I could have gone this whole time and uh, flipping the phone, texting all my friends. But no, it was really cool. I remember it was uh, it was great. The flip phones were fun. Yeah, I'm but I don't know if I could go back. I'm actually glad though that you know companies like uh, like Apple are making colored phones now again because this is what I I always had a colored phone as a teenager and I really loved that. So I think it's uh, it's cool that you know phones have gone back into the colored sphere rather than just being you know black. I'm too scared yeah. to wear my phone without a case and for everyone to see the color. So I guess to me it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore. But uh, yeah, I've seen, I always see the people without their uh, backs on the phone or like a case on the phone and uh, they have some cool colors that they brought in. Yeah, there's always the question, should I put the case that it's not transparent or transparent? Should I keep the original color or can I use the different color with the case? Um, but yeah, I, um, yeah, I want to switch to the next question, which is um, hypothetically what may happen with any of us you left your smartphone home, what would be the most missing feature for you when you're out? For me, I guess the ability to, uh, to text or call people. I feel like that's what I use my phone most for these days. I mean, maybe if I was really bored and I was on the train or something, then maybe I'd probably miss Instagram because I just like mindlessly scroll through that when I, whenever I'm bored. What about you, Natalie? Yeah, I would say also um texting or calling but uh aside from that like maps i use my maps app like every day so i would be pretty lost without it but maybe or that's even, more... like searching uh, even searching for like uh the u-bahn or s-bahn like yeah like, exactly i would have no i, I probably have no idea <laughs> Yeah, I, I, my phone was stolen like my first few months in Berlin and Gosh. like thankfully my, I was in like a station where all I had to do was just get back on the train to get back home. But if I didn't, if it, if it was somewhere in the city, like I would have been so lost on how to get back. The smartphone has become part of our brain. That's not an exaggeration anymore. It's just the extended memory. Um, for better or worse, I mean, um, there's no way you can, you know, have a phone that just, um, stowable, I guess, I don't know, chain the phone to yourself, <laughs> like what you can do, um, or it should be really tiny, like sitting in the, behind your ear somewhere. Like we should wait for 10, 15 years, I guess, till that moment. Um, speaking of future and the features that are not on our smartphones right now, is there something that is missing for you both on your smartphone, software, hardware, better battery, whatever? I think, uh, I don't know. I feel like battery is always eventually an issue. Um, but yeah, I kind of, uh, I mean, I know that there's some companies that are making like these new flip smartphones. I'm, uh, I'm super curious about them, but I'm just not willing to switch from uh, from Apple, unfortunately, to try them. But uh, if Apple are down, then uh, I'd be super keen to to give this a go. 
And and you, Natalie? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have. Uh, so you're pretty good with, with what you have. Good with, yeah, I'm content with that. Don't need more technology, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before I let you both go, how can people get in touch with you and more you get more information about what you do, the company? I mean, people could either just reach out to myself or Natalie on uh, <clears throat> on LinkedIn, um, or you can also get in touch uh, with Fitcher via our website. I believe it's with uh, Fitcher.com. All right. Terrific. Thank you for coming and being on our podcast. Thank you, Isabella and Natalie. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that was Natalie Rosenblatt, Senior Performance Marketing Consultant, and Isabella Zoe, Senior Graphic Designer, Feature. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, just search for Business of Apps, and you will find us easily. We're list episodes on Mondays, so subscribe, and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer, if you're still using computer to listen podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.